You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. It's our desire to make the kingdom of God known in Portsmouth as it is in heaven. Today, I want to take us on a bit of a journey together. And really, this is a story about spiritual formation. See, there's a very present reality that we face in which each and every one of us are being shaped by something into something, right? We're being shaped by something into something. We come in here with different backgrounds. We come here with different burdens. We come in here with different pain and traumatic experiences and even different backgrounds of sinful activity that we've engaged in in the past. There's just a lot that we carry into who we are now. And each and every one of those things has played a part in the shaping of who we have become to this point and who we are becoming because we're not finished being shaped and conformed into something. But see, we have this opportunity to choose whether we're going to allow for our shaping to become something that conforms to a culture which goes against the way of Jesus and the heart of God and the word of God, or if we're going to ask the Spirit to continue to conform us into the image of Christ. So, to get into this story today, we're using the story of someone named Joseph. This kind of amazing biblical figure, and to be honest, I mean, it's, it's a quite large chunk of scripture. It's about 12 chapters in the book of Genesis, and so it's difficult even to pinpoint what to focus on this morning, but it's an amazing story of how even in hurt, God is present and produces something beautiful. So we're in this series called Resilient Faith. As Kate mentioned, and just to give a refresher, the working definition that we have for this series is that resilient faith is a posture of our heart, our mind, and our soul to remain steadfast following Jesus while living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. We're going to keep mentioning this definition throughout this series because it's incredibly helpful for us to remember why, why would a church build a series around this concept? It's because it's necessary for the moment that we're living in, right here, right now. But before we get into this story, really, you might be wondering, who in the world is Joseph? And I'm so glad that you asked. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if you hadn't. But Joseph is this fascinating figure, and and hopefully, to be helpful, um, I want to go back to a character called Abraham, which Josh talked about last week. So we've got a slide that will show us kind of this family tree of sorts. It's Abraham that we talked about last week. He was married to a woman named Sarah. They had a son named Isaac. Isaac married a woman named Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah had twin boys. One of them was Esau, and one of them was Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, but Rachel had two sons, and one of them was Joseph. So Joseph came from a very large family. 
And most of them were his half-siblings um, because it was just him and his brother Benjamin that were from Rachel. But this is this family tree. So like Abraham that we talked about last week was Joseph's great-great-granddad. I guess that's how you could think of it. And this is helpful for me and hopefully helpful for you because when we read through the Bible, particularly through the first five books of the Bible, um, we must remember that it's an ongoing narrative. It's a story, right? So sometimes we pick chunks of the Bible to study and meditate in, but really there's a larger narrative that runs throughout the biblical story. So choosing these people, really we could kind of follow the family tree as we continue even throughout this series. So today, as we're talking about Joseph, I'm going to give you a slide that will show kind of the progression that we're going to follow as we walk through this story. So it begins with difficult circumstances. We're going to talk about kind of the, the traumatic things that he faced in his life and how that produced a greater opportunity for intimacy with God, which then leads to wholeness and flourishing. So I'm calling this kind of a kingdom equation because it's something that doesn't otherwise make sense. But in God's economy, it was right for Joseph's life and completely applicable for us today. We're going to see how the difficult situations and circumstances and traumatic things that we faced actually present a greater opportunity for intimacy with God, to know his presence amidst darkest hours in life, and how only by those things adding up can we come to this place of understanding wholeness and flourishing. So that's our trajectory today. Hopefully you're with me in that. But I want to share with you, again, because there's so many chapters talking about Joseph's life, one fascinating thing is in our Bibles, we have these headers that, that tell us kind of the chunks of scriptures that we're uh, reading, but those things are not inspired texts. They're not in the, the original language. So if you are reading in your Bible, um, in Genesis 37, that's when we see the beginning of Joseph's story. But it's, it's kind of misleading because Joseph's story actually starts much earlier. See, we're reading about a very traumatic thing that happened in Joseph's life, but the reality is that even as a child, I'm just going to give you some like highlight points from his life. As a child, he would have experienced this moment where his family, so his dad, his mom, his 12 siblings, his half siblings, you know, mom, all of them would have traveled from the household of his granddad, Laban and ran for their life because Jacob thought that Laban was going to harm the family. So that's a lot to carry already, right? And then there's this moment where Jacob's brother Esau is coming to confront Jacob. And so Joseph would have watched his dad have this full breakdown, freaking out, thinking that Esau, his brother, and, and his army were going to come and destroy their family, just preparing for the worst which would have been so much for a child to carry. And then as they're still journeying, there's this moment where his mother, Rachel, actually dies. She passes away because of complications due to her giving birth to his brother, Benjamin. So by the time they actually reach their final destination as a family, he's gone through all of these things 
and he, he doesn't have his mother anymore. So all he has are his brothers and, and his father. Now, he had a very special and unique relationship with his father. He was highly favored. His dad gave him this beautiful long sleeve coat with many colors and this gorgeous thing that already his brothers were a little bit upset that he had this kind of favor with his father. And they're like, why is this happening? So already there's this kind of jealousy churning inside of them. And then to make matters worse, I mean, or better, depending on how we're looking at it, Joseph begins to have these really profound dreams. These dreams were prophetic. They, they were giving insight into the, what the future would be. But as kind of this confused young man, Joseph goes to his father and goes to his brothers and he's like, I'm having these dreams and I don't know what to make of them because in these multiple dreams, what's happening is that his brothers are serving him. So you can imagine that as the second to youngest in his family, the audacity it would take to be like, I'm having these dreams and in these dreams, my 11 brothers are actually serving me. What do I do with this? So his, his father's rebuking him. His brothers are despising him for it. And this is where we find ourselves picking up in Genesis chapter 37 today. I'm reading from the CSB version, which will be up on the screen for you. And this, fair warning, is quite a chunk of scripture. I'm not going to break down all of it. It's just for us to kind of understand in the narrative what's happening in our story, right? So Genesis 37, beginning in verse 18, it says, when they saw him, so this is the brothers seeing Joseph come to them, they saw him in the distance and before they had reached, he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. So now it's gotten to the extent where they're plotting his demise, right? So they plot to kill him. And they said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. That's kind of a dope title, right? <laughs> dream expert. I don't know. But it wasn't for him. It was kind of very negative. So verse 20. So now, come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these pits. And we can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. So Reuben had a good heart in this whole thing. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off the robe from Joseph that robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and they threw him in the pit, and the pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal. Naturally, that's what happens when you chuck your brother in a pit, I suppose. And they looked up, and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying a, uh, aromatic gum and, and balsam and resin, and they were going down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took 
Joseph to Egypt. Now imagine all of those traumatic things that we talked about that led up to this moment. Now Joseph is in this pit sensing such despair and loneliness, not knowing if he was going to be killed or if he would live. And then he's sold into slavery, then not knowing if he would ever see his brothers again, and probably more deeply felt was the reality that he had no idea if he would even see his father again. I can only imagine the way that he was feeling all of this in his body, the anxiety welling up, the fear of the unknown, what's going to happen next? What's going to become of my life? So after this, Joseph's brothers, they took that robe and they they dipped it in goat's blood and they brought it to his father, Jacob, Israel. And they said that Joseph had been mauled by an animal, that he was dead. And Jacob's response is everything that we could imagine it would be. It was the most heart-wrenching despair that he had ever experienced. He had lost his wife. Now he had lost his son. He could not imagine a future where he wasn't experiencing the grief that he was feeling in that moment. Doesn't this feel like a heartbreaking like movie plot or, or a story in a book or something? Like It feels unreal, right? So many just bad things after bad things that are they're just culminating into this moment. So much loss and pain. Now Joseph is without a mother. He's away from his father and brothers. It seems more lonely than ever. It seems more bleak than ever. And it's incredibly heavy stuff for us to even read. So this is where I want to take a moment to think about our first focal point this morning. Which is difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. Perhaps if you're anything like me, you can find a bit of yourself and your own story in the life of Joseph, in the things that we've talked about already. See, this is the power of the Word of God. The Bible says, Paul said to Timothy that that, that the Bible is, is alive that it's given to us for reproof, for, for edification, that it's something that we learn from. And the way that this happens, the way that we experience the living word is that we can read stories like this. And somehow as we're even hearing about it and, and reading it, the spirit is unearthing things within us that are more comfortable left in the ground, left in the dark. But let me assure you in this moment that this upheaval, that this unearthing is only for the purpose of our healing. It's for the purpose of us finding peace and comfort because this is the way that the heart of the Father meets us even in our darkest moments. So as I mentioned at the onset of this talk, we're shaped by the things that we've experienced. I'll share with you in transparency a bit of my story. 
And just to be sensitive to the room, maybe there will be some things that I speak about that, that are difficult to listen to. Um, and my commitment to you is that I'm not bringing these things up to kind of just drop this bomb and be like, there, now, now deal with it. Um, my commitment to you is that I, I would actually love to sit with some of you who resonate with this. If your story uh, um, is a story of, of pain and trauma and you would like to talk through it and you would like to pray, I would love to, to listen and to share more of the story and more of the way that the Spirit of God has met me um, and met my family, even in our darkest times, right? So when I was four years old, I experienced abuse that shaped my childhood, that shaped my young adult years that shaped even the beginning of my marriage to Laura in a very negative way. And I would say that it wasn't until I was 21 years old, I can remember the night that God freed me from the shame I carried about these things that happened to me when I was four years old. I lived all of those years in darkness. I, I lived all of those years with this secret. And in that darkness, it just made room for this rumination of, of shame. Of this rumination of secret sin that I had given into as a result of not, not allowing the light of Jesus into my life, into my story. The trauma that we experience can inform the way that we view ourselves. It can keep us in that place of hiding out of fear. And it's, it's out of the fear of what could happen if we let the light in. And it could even cause us to become something that God never intended for us to be. Alone in the dark. What I mean is this. God is not the initiator of our pain. He's not the author of evil or sin. But he is the one who sits with us in our darkest hour. He is the God of all comfort. And his intention is for us to flourish. His intention is always flourishing. I can remember back to 2019 when my wife Laura and I lost our son due to a later term miscarriage. And it it was a very unique sort of trauma and pain that we experienced. We had never experienced something quite like that. And in our greatest moment of despair, I'm sure well-intentioned Christians said some really terrible things that if taken seriously would make God seem like a monster. And I was a pastor at the time. And even then, it made me wrestle with my own theology of the problem of evil and death and despair and all of these things. And there was this moment where the Spirit of God gave me this beautiful picture. See, California, the place that, that we were living, especially very arid, dry summers, was infamous for terrible fires like thousands of acres, burning down homes, taking lives. And in our moment of despair, God spoke to me that, that he is not the arsonist that starts the fire, but he is the firefighter 
that sits with us in the pain, that sees us through, that is putting his life on the line, whose heart is breaking along with us. See, God is not afraid of our most raw moments. And you need to hear this. God is not fearful of the way that you'll respond when you're experiencing trauma and painful things. He wants to sit with you in it. He wants to be the very place that you run to. And this is what we find in the life of Joseph. So our first point is those difficult circumstances. The next is intimacy with God. Joseph experienced great intimacy with God. In difficult circumstances, he knew that it produced a greater opportunity for intimacy we actually see that the way that the story of Joseph goes is that, that the hand of God is so evident on his life that there's favor all along the way. He ends up being kind of the second in charge of the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. And it wasn't without difficulties. He was thrown in prison and God met him there. He was accused falsely of, of doing something and God was with him in it. He experienced intimacy in such a profound way. Now, we've talked about difficult circumstances and trauma, and I just want to say to you now, if, if you are in that place right now of like carrying the weight of, I've been through these difficult things, I don't know what to do with it, King's Church is so passionate about being present to you, be, be it in prayer or our pastoral care team, or even just to refer you to really helpful resources when it comes to counseling and other uh, mental health resources. So please, at the end of this talk, in just a few minutes, if that's you, would you come up and receive prayer today? Would you speak to one of us on the pastoral team? We would love to be present with you. And like I said, even on a personal level, I would love to hear your story. Um, but in those difficult circumstances, and the hope for us in this moment is that we can experience greater intimacy with God. So I just want to give four quick ways for us to practice these things. And this is not, you know, an all-in-one list, just very practical things. One way that we experience that is through prayer. We experience intimacy with God through prayer, which is communicating with God. It's a two-way conversation. So we spend time prayer, talking with God. The second is in scriptures, understanding the the story of God. God has given us his story, which shows us our own story in, interwoven throughout the scriptures. So spending time with God, even daily, just seeking him in the scriptures. The next is community. Like we're here right now as the people of God, family of God. Um, this is a form of community. If you're not in a life group, I encourage you to be in a life group. Experience community that way. We often hear even the audible voice of God through the voices of those faithful daughters and sons of God who will speak out the heart of Christ in our lives. So be in community. And the last is worship. We worship not even just in song on Sundays or listening to to worship music on our own, but it's actually a posture of our heart to surrender all that we are to God and say, Lord, I don't know how you're working in this situation, but I'm going to praise you because I see your goodness working and meeting me right here, right now. 
So those things combined, those difficult circumstances, greater intimacy with God leads to wholeness and flourishing. And I just want to say to you as we close, if you've been the victim of something traumatic, if you've been failed by someone, if you've been betrayed by someone, if you're heartbroken, listen, your story does not end there. Joseph's story did not end in the pit. Joseph's story did not end with him being imprisoned, but it actually culminated into this moment where at the end, his brothers come back to him. They bring his father. They, they are so sorrowful for what they had done, and they're fearful that he is going to judge them now because he's ruler of this land. And he says to them, it's so beautiful, so profound. He's like, am I God to judge you? What you intended for evil, God planned for good to bring about the present result, which is the survival of many people. He was able to see that because of what he had gone through, that he was now in this place of ruling a land with the heart of God. The injustices that had taken place, now he's bringing forth justice. He's bringing forth the heart of God for the people of the land. So whether or not you can see it in this moment or fully believe it yet even, I promise you that the heart of God is to meet you in this moment where you're at. Jesus said that he came to set captives free. Just like the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment, sometimes all it takes is just one step. Even if we can't fully see it, if we, we can't fully believe it yet, to just take a step and say, I'm willing to let the light of Christ in. I'm willing to receive that healing that can only come from the presence of God. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And if, if you are living out an identity that someone else put on you, would you believe in faith with me today? That Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit of God, is able to break chains He's able to help you to see yourself rightly as the loved daughter or son of the Most High King that you are. If you're living into this narrative of, of trauma as you've been a victim, would you allow for the presence of God to meet you in that place today and to speak in hope and life to bring the healing that you need in only the way that he can. So we're going to spend some time in worship now. We're going to have a prayer team available. And I encourage you, don't waste the opportunity to let the light of Christ in. I'm not asking you to come and divulge every part of your life that you might not be ready to share. I'm just asking you, with mustard seed size faith, would you take one step closer to the light? Would you believe today as faith wells up in this place that God has a unique way of meeting you with his healing power today?
If there's anything from the teaching that challenged you, please know that we're praying for you and would love to support you. If you need any help or support, please email pastoral at thekings.church. Also, if you have questions about faith, starting on the 15th of January, we are running Alpha, which is an amazing course helping you learn who the person of Jesus is. You can find out all the details of that on our website. God bless you. See you soon.